0: You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church.
1: This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jin Wilkin and JT English. And on today's episode, we're joined by our good friend, Jamin Roller from the Village Church Plano to discuss an ark and a covenant in 2 Samuel 5 through 8, and why the covenant with David is so significant for the rest of the story of the Bible and the history of redemption. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right. So uh, just before we jumped on, uh, we were talking about cheesy like catchphrases, like when people will say something. Like, like give the example. Give us some examples, Kyle. Well, no, no, you give us the. You were just talking about this.
2: Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I think that that would uh, share about a friend what he probably doesn't want to okay. share publicly. <laughs> so, I'm gonna put the okay. fit. Okay. So, so uh, but you were talking about how a lot of times in churches the worship minister would. Like, yeah. So he would like finish. He would talk in between songs, mm-hmm. and he'd finish the last line of his talk to make sure it was the first line of whatever hymn he's going into or something right. like that. Right. And it just takes just takes some creativity. And yeah, <laughs> I think we should bring it back. We really should. And the example you gave
1: was like you know, sometimes you know we're doubting; it's a hard time.
2: Yeah, and yet we got to be. And you you came in, and together we're going to be standing on the, the right. promises. <laughs> exactly, of God. exactly, Stand
1: exactly. Of God. Right. So like. That's that, but that's a, that's a skill set that's been lost. It has, it is. and you I think the one-liners the in the well, like,
2: there was a guy that every single Sunday you would he would come up to you and hey, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? And he would have just the best response. Like yeah. most of the time, it was well. If I was any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> And I'm, I, I still don't know what that means. <laughs> or too blessed to be stressed. There, yeah, there you go. That's right. Or
1: like, uh, like be- better than I deserve. Mm, I get uh-huh. that from like some catchy, you know, like quippy guys. <laughs> How are you doing?
2: Better than I deserve, man. Yes. All great. Yes. All great. <laughs> I think we need a new one. We need to make one of, of our own. Or yeah. you guys do. Like one that's just a knowing faith. Oh,
1: a knowing faith, like ism? Yeah. Like a yeah, secret, yeah, yeah. Hand- like, like a secret handshake? I don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that would be. What would, give your best guess. Oh,
3: I can't. I'm not good at stuff like this on the spot. You're not? But. Okay.
1: Um well Jen's good at catchphrases. We did come up with
3: a catchphrase this morning though, unrelated to this. Okay. Yes. We were talking about kind of Baptist culture. Oh, we were doing a, a episode on Baptists and during one of our off periods we were talking about Baptist culture and Jen <laughs> <laughs> called Kyle cuz Kyle loves Baptist culture. <laughs> Uh, Called Kyle Caffy Baptie, <laughs> yeah, which is like
1: the worst superhero name ever. <laughs> like Caffy Baptie yeah. to the rescue, just dunking kids. Right. You know?
2: <laughs> sure, but the battle's already been won.
3: <laughs> right. uh, uh,
2: there you go. See, here we are. Full well, circle.
1: Hey, if, if,
0: if you're like, <laughs>
1: oh, I love that song. Okay, let's not go toe-to-toe. Because I love this song. Okay. um Okay, so if you're like, who is that other fourth voice in the room today? I hear Jen, I hear JT, I hear Kyle's beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. But who is the other voice that just is speaking with incredible clarity and insight? <laughs> that's our friend, Jamin Roller.
2: Welcome, Jamin. Hey, Jamin. Hey, Jamin. Thank you. It's good to be here. I, I think what I'm learning now is I've finally found a room where I don't have to be embarrassed about all my Bible jokes. No. So no, that's exciting. You're we welcome. You're uh, we welcome. Yes. Perfect. This is the place. This is the place. um uh You are
1: at the Village Church Plano. Yes. And you've been there. um, And yet uh, there's transition going on. And Mm so I'd love for you to share a little bit. So uh, you are, I'll just tell you, brother, I I think you're one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard. Mm Oh, thank you. you, And like, we didn't talk about like, we're going to praise Jamin when he gets in here. But Jamin is just an incredible Bible teacher. uh, And uh, you and the Plano campus have done such a profound job with the other leaders there of cultivating men and women's Bible study environments there at the Plano campus. And so sure. why don't you share a little bit about like what the Lord's been doing there through Men um, and Women's Bible Study and how you guys have been collaborating and building that together. Yeah. And then share a little bit about what we TVC, the Village Church Plano is headed as it transitions off and kind of what's in front of you guys and what you're celebrating.
2: Yeah. You know, I think that um, to kind of maybe speak to your last question first, when we're, talking around transition and we're, we're talking about becoming, uh, uh, you know, our own church. And that idea has been present among the campus since our, since our beginning. Mm-hmm. So we were starting as a campus around the time Denton, or maybe right after Denton had you know, voted to become autonomous. So that's not an, a new idea. Uh, and yet, a couple of weeks ago, we voted um, to the tune of over 96% uh, to become our own mm-hmm. church, which is just super affirming. And so, what I tell our people is that we have been for a long time dating the idea of becoming our own church, and now we're engaged to mm-hmm. the idea, uh, and we will be married sometime in the very near future. So, but, uh, to tie it all together, when, I, when we were thinking about the win behind all of that, right? It's not so much trying to answer the question of when we become our own church, who do we want to be? But answering the question, okay, who are we right now? Mm-hmm. And is who we are a reflection of what the Bible would say a church should be? And one of the spaces that we look to, to ant- one of the spaces that we saw throughout our church, which continued to you know, carry this resounding yes to that question, was uh, our Bible classes, starting with our women's Bible class, Uh, that it would meet Tuesday mornings and Tuesday evenings. And just if you look in the room that they were actually doing that in homes before we Mm -hmm. had created a formal space for them to do that, much like uh, was maybe happening at some of our other campuses. Uh, But you just have these droves of women coming to uh, to not just learn the Bible, uh, but uh, but coming to be equipped to teach the Bible. And it was they were uh, people that were reduplicating themselves. And so then we launched the men's uh, Bible class as well. Bible study. I just you use can call it whatever you okay, do. The story makes me
0: so happy. You can Bible, call it whatever Bible you party.
2: What about Bible party? Yeah.
0: <clears throat> Weekly Bible
2: party. And so, what we were seeing is that uh, a a good percentage of our church uh, was entering into these spaces that are not easy. Like the ask is super high mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of the work that they're doing at home, and then coming together and talking in small groups. And so. Uh, and, and then the way that that was, um, representative of actually families in our church. And so it's like wives, uh, would be in, you know, Tuesday morning and then the husband would come and, and they'd be on in the men's group. And that's a conversation that's happening in their home. And there's just this very, um, active relationship with God's worth in, in word in both learning it and putting it into practice and, mm-hmm. and just the ways that leaders have been trained up in that. And so it was a space that, that, provided for us just a great amount of confidence to say okay this is not this is the thing that the church does and uh it is happening here in a way that's just so encouraging and Mm -hmm. and robust and so yeah i totally
0: paid him to say that and i'm not sorry about it (laughs) no i've really it has been so heartening to us to Mm -hmm. watch you guys take the vision for christian education and implement it in ways that are building up both the men and the women. It's so exciting to mm-hmm. me that now our men and our women have this common thing to talk about with that's one right. another in the yeah. home or even in home groups, you know, that, that there's a shared experience that's happening there. And it's been really cool to see um, the the guys who are teaching the men's class and the women who are teaching the women's class talking to each other about how's the best way to mm-hmm. put this message together. I mean, this that has been a really cool thing to watch, yeah. too. We do that some at Flower Mound, but you guys really... Um, you sort of were helping me to see, oh my gosh, we could be yeah. doing way more of these conversations. Yeah, Yeah. And, and it's really cool
1: because, so just on this side of things. Uh, you know, uh, so we planted, um, over the last year, we planted a church, Mosaic Church in Richardson and, uh, some of the people that came to be a part of that core team were coming from Plano yeah. mm-hmm. and they were coming from really Plano cool, yeah. men and women's Bible okay. study environments. And so now, so like you guys were cultivating, uh, cultivating and multiplying in the life of your church, just leaders. So there was a vision there to like have strong men and women's Bible study in the life of your church and to multiply strong leadership in those environments. Well then, when a church comes in and plants, and you guys commission and send us out, you also sent us with women and men who already knew how to lead those they knew environments. The culture, mm-hmm. They know how to do so it. So it's like we were that's able awesome. to step into it and go great from day from day one. We were able to launch men and women's Bible study with leadership teams that had been refined in part by Plano's leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's not just because you know, sometimes it can be like, oh, well, that's good for the village that they set up a good environment and that they're replicating leaders. But like, you know, and we all believe that there's a value just people studying the word together mm-hmm. but sometimes we talk about this thing as like it's divorced from the whole multiplication that the church is doing right. and it's not mm-hmm. like are there are there are women who are now studying the bible sitting with table leaders who were trained how to lead tables at the church that sent us mm-hmm. right they've yeah. never studied the bible before and somebody's able to teach them because somebody taught them how to teach people how to study the bible that's so incredible awesome. it's yeah. really
0: great that's
1: it's awesome, awesome. It's just like, man, the Lord is so kind that blessings just cascade mm. in yes. the life of the church. Yes, it's so cool.
2: And I think that you know, to speak to uh, the comment you made, Jen, is that in our church, what it also what it has been is that um, it is one of the purest, like collaborating type spaces mm-hmm. that we have in terms of. In fact, just this this week, we had um, a couple of uh, new teachers introduced in the women's yes. class, yeah, yeah. and there was. Uh, whoever was teaching, uh, Andreas was teaching, one of our staff members was teaching in the men's class, uh, both of them. And I, you know, walked down the hall and I overhear over conversation between them, just, Hey, where are you going? And here's what mm-hmm. I read. And just that. You know, it just in in some sense, it's like just very pure Christian fellowship with Mm -hmm. one another around God's word. And then just how that could then trickle out from leadership and affect that kind of culture in the life of the church is just super encouraging. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I I think that that's one thing that in God's kindness, he's Mm -hmm. he's he's let us in. So, yeah, that's cool.
0: Love it.
2: your copy today.
1: Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. So uh, talking about men and women's Bible study, this semester we're going through Second Samuel. And so part of the, just to kind of re-situate what we're doing on the podcast this season, part of what we're doing in any season of Knowing Faith is we're broadly covering some doctrinal topics that often get explored in the training program, which is our year-long theological immersion program. And so we're kind of repurposing some of that content. The other arc that we're following is the arc of whatever Bible class or Bible study or Bible party.
3: Bible party. Bible party. we just we just we we just just branded that. Done. The Bible is for everyone. It is a party. party.
1: (laughs) Boom. There we go. Um, And so we're in Second Samuel. Uh, TVC is in Second Samuel. (laughs) The villages, and they're going to be kind of covering this week by week. And like we've said before, if you're looking for like deep dives into the content of Second Samuel, you can go to tvcresources.net. You can find the curriculum there. You can find audio from the teachings there. And so that would be a place for a deep dive. These episodes are Oftentimes, like Jenna said, it's the stuff that like gets cut on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. Um, or that- we had to
0: run past it in the teaching, but there was some really fun stuff
3: there right. that we didn't
1: get into. Like uh, foreskins. From the sure. last episode, you where... just
0: keep saying that. Well, uh,
3: be I'm just great saying, If it's you would just,
1: talk. it's just in the text. I'm, I'm just reading right. what the text says, right? Second Timothy
3: three sixteen. So the thing that's uh, hard about this topic, though, is this is a topic that not only are they covering in the Bible study, but this is a topic that we cover in depth in the training program. Yes, this absolutely. And that doesn't portion, happen every time. Yeah. Like no, we're kind true. of things are lining up here in a fun. In a fun it world. made
0: me nervous.
3: Really? yeah?
0: Be. Because um, I wanted to teach it in a way that fit with what you guys were doing in the training program and. I don't know, man. You guys scare me a little bit.
3: We're not scary people. Kyle,
1: Kyle, Kyle well, is a little scary. <laughs> but, well, so what are we covering today? We're covering Second <laughs> Samuel five through eight, talking about an ark and a covenant. And so, just to kind of resituate where we're at, uh, we have been looking at Second Samuel, and in Second Samuel five, we see that David is anointed king over Israel. Okay, he's anointed king over Israel. And Jen was quick to point out this is not the second anointing, it's the third anointing. That there was a private anointing that we see, and then there's the anointing over Judah, and then you have the anointing of David over Israel. Uh, and then immediately following that, you have David defeating the Philistines again. And we talked about the symmetry there between David's first anointing, defeat of the Philistines, and then this third anointing, final anointing, defeat of the Philistines. And his first order of business after this is securing the Ark of the Covenant. So mm-hmm. here's the question we've got to start with. What is the Ark and why does David want it? What is the ark? Why does David care about it?
0: Well, I mean, it certainly represents uh, the very presence of God among his people. And so when they think about, uh, he, he he is thinking, you know, I, I've taken Jerusalem, which you kind of skipped over that part, so I'll just throw that in really fast. Wow, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they finally wrest Jerusalem from the hands of the Jebusites. It's like this last bastion of nastiness that the Jebusites are still living there uh, and they, they they get them out of Jerusalem. They take over Jerusalem. It's the first time we hear it spoken of as Zion, mm-hmm. which is this really important word that's going to you know, follow us through the rest of the story. And, uh, and so now in David's mind, the, the most logical next step is we're, we're in the city of God. I am the king of God's people and the presence of God should be in our midst. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to bring the ark into the city.
1: Okay, so what is the ark?
0: It's a really fancy box. <laughs>
1: Okay. Jamin, any <laughs> anything to add to what the Ark is? It's a fancy box. What else yep. would you say about the Ark? Have you ever seen Raiders
3: of the Lost?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I think that if you if you were to when I think about stories like these, my the first place I tend to go is to the kind of the I don't know, fifty thousand foot view to try to answer that question okay. within the larger story of the Bible. And so when I you know, what has helped shaped my reading of the Bible, especially in the old testament is those, that theme of God's covenant, that in the garden, what you have, when God establishes his perfect world, what I would say is you've got the four Ps that are there. You have God's presence and God's people in God's place under God's purpose. Okay. And so basically when sin disrupts all of that, much of the covenants, so you get from the, you know, from Noah to Abraham, to Mois, Moses, Moses, <laughs> Moses is trying his to- His cousin, His Mo- cousin, Moses, <laughs> right. Uh, it doesn't really feature much in the story. No. Um, but it's a recapturing of all those, right? It's a reconstituting of God's people and mm-hmm. in God's place. And so where the ark fits in all that is it's God's, it's God's presence. Mm-hmm. It's what it means to have, uh, that what was just uninterrupted, uh, in the garden, what was just experienced without any sort of restrictions by Adam and Eve has in part been restored mm-hmm. in the, in God's presence being amongst this ox mm-hmm. in the people. And so it's, In terms of that restoration of how God originally uh, created his world and how David's a part of that in so many different ways, uh, what David is doing is in God's place, going and bringing back in God's presence with God's people, so that pieces of that are started to be put back together again. Okay, so the Ark is uniquely situated, or, or it's
1: uniquely a part of the presence of God among His people.
2: Yeah. yeah, So when you when you when you hear temple, the first thing you should think is God's is God's presence. Mm-hmm. God's presence. And so the same thing is when you hear Ark, the first thing you should think is God's presence mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. terms <laughs> of understanding where it fits in right. the story. Because the Ark resided
1: in its original place, right, within the context of the tabernacle. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so um, it was a It was a visual sacred object that indicated something that was uniquely true about Israel, which was that the presence of God was among them, Mm -hmm. right? Think about like Moses in Exodus when he's saying, hey, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not distinct among Mm -hmm. the nations, Mm -hmm. right? Right? Exodus 32 through 34. And one of the visual indicators, right, of the presence of God was the ark. Yes. In the
2: tabernacle. Yeah. Which is what makes them the people of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and that it is the thing that constitutes mm-hmm. that's it's what distinguishes them from every other nation, that you are my special possession, which right. is what God would say to the people coming out of Egypt. And so without the presence, you aren't the people of God. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like
1: you have it's like okay, there's a king on the throne, they're in the land, but without the presence of God, without the ark. They're just another nation. They're just mm-hmm. another nation. Mm-hmm. So that's why David wants the Ark. Mm-hmm. He wants the Ark because it is the distinguishing quality of Israel's life together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, the Ark, uh, let's talk a little bit about some other realities around the Ark. So we talk about the Ark sometimes as also having the mercy seat, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what was the mercy seat and how did it factor in Israel's worship life together?
3: I mean, this is the place where, where uh, uh, Israel's priests would enter in and atone for the sins of God's right. people. And so this is a place where blood would be, would be shed, where yeah. blood would have been poured or wiped and smeared to yeah. represent that these sacrifices are happening so that we're maintaining our holiness and cleanliness mm-hmm. in God's presence. So it factored into the sacrificial system right. that God had set up for his people, well,
2: you've got atonement the, for sin was made. You've got the Ten Commandments in the Ark. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so for the blood to be placed on the mercy seat, which is over the ark, was a way to say all of your law breaking is now covered by the blood of this sacrifice. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, there was, so there was deep spiritual and like worship significance to the ark. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just that it was the presence of the Lord. It was also it factored as maybe the centerpiece or a part of the centerpiece to all of Israel's life with God together. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm hmm. And it also is a summation of the history of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Like, yes. isn't it like their like? It houses the Ten Commandments. Sure. It's a sign of their exodus. Mm-hmm. It's an indicator of the prosperity that God had
3: given them on the other side. Like, it's well, a- it's a picture even of Eden. Right, mm-hmm. right. Like this, uh, the tabernacle and the and the ark together represent this re Edenization of mm-hmm. the world. That all that was lost in Genesis three, God's purposes are meant to restore, mm-hmm. uh, not just Eden, but a better Eden among mm-hmm. us. And this is the place that that uh, is is where Eden is exploding out over the rest of the mm-hmm. world. Yes. Like this is the holiness of God, and these kind of concentric uh, places of worship are only meant to be taken further out yes. into the nations. That's good
1: and the reason i'm belaboring this is because if we like i feel like a lot of our misunderstanding over the rest of this passage <laughs> is a result of the fact that we don't understand what the ark is sure because you're going to be like well, let's just get there so we go a little bit further down and if would somebody just read 6 5 through 11.
0: yeah okay. i'll read it it says and david and all the house of israel were celebrating before the lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom the Gittite and all his household.
2: Can I interrupt? Yeah, of course. So you nailed all of those names. That was good. What do you... you
0: You just make them up. Okay. You, you know that everybody and knows say, that, right? You're just saying with mean,
2: confidence, right?
0: Yeah, confidence but here's half the
2: my point. problem: is when I go back to it, I can't remember the way I pronounced it the first time. So yeah, you gotta exposed, keep notes. Like, so you're like, En-nacon. and You got to be <laughs> so Nakin. careful
0: because, like, the last few weeks in the teaching, we had to talk about Asa a whole lot, and I'm like, do not, don't mess that one up. It's true. I had a ton of trouble. I kept saying Meshibafes. I could oh, not. My mouth would not work in the morning. I'm I think yeah.
2: I said it wrong. He needs time. a nickname. Yeah, Mr. M. Short one. (laughs) So methy. So
1: when you read this story, if you don't really know what the arc is, gosh, this seems like a really weird passage, right? Because Uzzah is struck down for doing something. That looks really helpful. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, on the surface, but also we have to see this within the 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 whole story yeah. of Samuel because we actually have had a, a similar thing happen already with the Ark if if you've been paying attention. And I
1: haven't. Tell me what that is was, it going on with Uzzah? Mm-hmm. So, oh my goodness! Oh, he's been
0: waiting the whole. Uzzah. I really was. About
1: thirty <laughs> seconds ago, I, I heard it in my head and I was like, I gotta put it no. in there. No. So tell me. Tell us, do it, do it again. What's is no, going stop. on with us? <laughs> stop Maybe it. we should just pray. <laughs> yeah,
0: can we just someone make it stop? It's amazing. Uh, uh, wishing, wishing someone else would get struck down right now. Wow. Um, oh, JK, JK. Okay. No. So anyway. <laughs> He'd go to heaven. <laughs> yeah, thank you, <laughs> Well, that was actually in one of the commentaries about Uzzah. They're like, nobody's saying the guy went to hell. I mean, <laughs> it was a temporal punishment. I'm like, nice try to soften a really scary yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we read this and we're like, whoa, that's harsh. That's really harsh. And um, again, if you start... You know, in the homework that we had our people go through, they had to go and look and see who, what, how was the ark supposed to be transported? And there were very specific rules that were given that it was to be uh, the Kohathites, and that there were poles that were supposed to go through the sides, and it was to be carried in that manner. And what we see here is actually pointing us back to the the last time that the ark was mishandled, because um, Abinadab, uh, Uzzah, and Ahio are are escorting the ark on a on a cart. And the Ark was actually, when it was hijacked by the Philistines, it was returned to Israel on a cart. So it's being transported in a very Philistine fashion here. Mm. But not only that, but the reason that the Ark went into Philistine territory to begin with is because it was being misappropriated. It was being used in a way that was not acceptable to God um, to, to win battles. They thought if they brought it in like their lucky rabbit's foot, it would win battles for them. And so God broke out against Israel in that in that time and then we've just seen where the Lord he's called the Lord of bursting through when he breaks out against the Philistines in in the battles that occur right before the story of Uzzah and then in the story of Uzzah we see that God does not only break out against his enemies he breaks out against those who dishonor him and he breaks out against Uzzah yeah and we're like I don't like that I right. want snuggly daddy God right now
1: right I- I think I heard R.C. Sproul one time say about this and it might be in the holiness of God maybe that's where I read it or maybe I'm misattributing this but he talked about Uzzah's presumption here Mm -hmm. that like Uzzah presumes that God needs his help in protecting the ark and so because of that God strikes him down or he presumes that he's holy enough to touch God's ark and and God strikes him down any credence to that?
0: I mean, I love R.C. Sproul, and I don't want to be the person who disagrees with him on a broadcast. <laughs> nah. uh, my real question you, for you is, well, do you yeah. respect R.C. Sproul? respect R.C. Sproul? Yeah. So I, I've i heard that teaching, and I think that's it's a fair point, but I think we can feel a little more ambiguity about it okay. than that, because well, I think what we're seeing when it says David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, it doesn't say who David is angry with, right. but we, we can pretty much determine that he is angry with Himself because he's the one who is responsible Mm. for these people. He's their shepherd. He's the one who is supposed to be uh, assuring that things go the way that they're supposed to. So you could argue that Uzzah um, sins in ignorance or whatever, but uh, I don't think it really matters. I think the point of the story is less about Uzzah and more about David and God.
2: Okay. It's like within the, if you consider um, that. The transference is from the Philistines to the people of God. It seems like a fair pastoral point to make would be that um, the standard of how the God's people approach Him should be higher yeah. yes. than the way that those exactly. who are not His people approach Him. Not not less than. Mm-hmm. Which is why you know obviously like holiness and obedience in the life of a believer just matters all that much more because mm-hmm. right? Right. we're living our lives in the presence of God because yeah. we have the we have the Spirit. But here you, it's it would be. Maybe the presumption, but <clears throat> if anything, I think that the, the most simple uh, thing that we could a- agree on is that he is taking his plays of how to interact with God from a people who don't actually honor, acknowledge, and worship yeah, God. That's right. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the, the failure here. That's good.
1: And um, around all of this, like around this situation with Uzzah, there is, you're talking about our approach to the presence of God. There's a lot of celebrating happening. Like Mm -hmm. at the beginning of this, their Mm -hmm. celebration, Mm -hmm. you go to verses 12 and following, and it talks about that uh, in verse 14, that David danced as the ark is being brought in. And then it says in verse 16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him. So like David's dancing, they're celebrating all this celebration for the ark because what? Why so much celebration for the ark? And then two, uh, well, let's just start there. Well, And I I wanted to say, a lot of times when we think about reverence for the presence of God, we immediately go sober. Mm -hmm. We immediately go serious. Like you just talked about, like, not that you were saying this, but when people hear, hey, we should be really mindful about how we approach the presence of God. It's typically read as uh, very sober, very reverent. Mm -hmm. And not that this isn't, but that there is a kind of celebration of the presence of God entering among his people that probably makes us a little uncomfortable. It it makes Michael uncomfortable, sure. So what's why all the celebration and what's going on with Michael despising David?
0: Well, da- <laughs> <laughs> look at all the guys just trying to look at me.
1: Uh, yeah. Answer for Michael. Jenny. Well, I,
0: I mean, I've been, I've been taken up for Michael this whole time, and I'm not going to back down now. Um, she's serving a particular purpose in the text at this point. She's not referred to simply as Michael. She's referred to three times as Michael, the daughter of Saul. Saul, and so she's serving a purpose in this passage of showing how that theme of David growing greater and greater and Saul growing lesser and lesser is continuing to come to pass because the. Sabbath story of Michael ends with the fact that she never has children. Hmm. And it doesn't say that the Lord closed her womb, which you see a lot of other places. It looks like David in a, in a sort of vindictive act never gives her the opportunity after this to bear children. Hmm. And so we can understand Michael's bitterness, right? We can understand based on her entire story that she is not wrong to be frustrated with David um, but the way she chooses to express it is placed it places her in the story as one who opposes God mm. so um, She is clearly a victim of some really bad circumstance here. She's been used as a political pawn. Not only that, but David has married quite a number of other women and he has concubines. Uh, So he is actually um, exhibiting some signs of being a king like the other nations. Mm. And yet when he comes in, if you think about the way that Saul was, Saul was, um, he was a a self-promoter. He cared a lot about appearance. uh, And, you know, he had the armor when nobody else had armor. He was kind of a... Uh, a, a fancy man. And here you get David who is um, coming in in a humble posture. So he is, if ever he has been the anti-Saul, he is the anti-Saul in this scene. And that's probably what is setting Michael off is mm. this is, this is not what the King of Israel looks like mm. in her understanding. It's interesting. And and David's like, I don't think you know much about what the King of Israel is supposed to look like. Mm. So I don't want to excuse David Sure for the way that he has treated Michael, it's significant that the first time we meet Michael, we hear that she loved David. And the last time that we hear about her in the story, it says she despised him. Um, But that word despise is going to be really important, not just here, but elsewhere in the story. We've seen that the sons of Eli despised the Mm -hmm. things of God. And then we'll see other mentions of despising as we move through the rest of the book.
2: Hmm. That's interesting. So all that considered, at least here in this section... She represents the other side of that juxtaposition. She's, so you, Saul,
0: she's the house of Saul in, right, this, right. in this passage. Yeah. And so
2: you have David celebrating what is the, I guess, for him in his the, future. the kingdom economy yeah. that he's bringing in, yeah. what's the center of success for them as being in the presence of God, right. whereas the center of success or how you measured uh, that for the kingdom of Saul was different and it was more around, and David in this... Seen actually represents all the things that Saul would refuse to do, which would be make himself maybe appear less in the eyes of others mm-hmm. because he cares more about what is true about about God.
0: Which goes back to that key statement for the whole book of you know God's words to Samuel that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. David right. is content to have a heart that's right before the Lord. Right, and
1: and moving forward, there's a verse that gets thrown out a lot, like in like popular Christian expression, 2 Samuel six verse twenty two. Right, Where you have <clears throat> David saying, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. <laughs> if you grew up in a youth group, you heard a song, I will become more indignified than this. Do mm-hmm. you guys remember this song? Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, Several songs That's come why. to mind. But, but, you, but you hear it get thrown out a lot. Right? Uh Uh-huh. You've heard this? Yes. Oh, I'm going to become even more undignified because Mm -hmm. I'm so passionately in love with the Lord. Or, like, you haven't even begun to see how crazy we're going to get tonight at youth group because (laughs) we are glad in the Lord. But is that really what's going on here? Yes. Yes? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That, like, is David saying, like, if your volume knob with Jesus is Mm -hmm. six, you Mm -hmm. should turn it up Mm -hmm. to 11. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I love
3: that. Spinal there are times room. I'm super grateful I didn't grow up in Christian subculture. <laughs> well, is is well and
0: I grew up in um, in some charismatic spaces where we yes. would sing, and I will dance, and I will dance, hmm. dance like David da- a- dance. Guys, actually, and like, Jen is dancing right I'm now around the room. i not much uh, of a dancer, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I do think we have to keep our focus on, you don't want to just lift this out and make it more than it is. Right. Mm-hmm. And I really think that the closer tie-in here, because we've just had the story of Uzzah, right? Yes. It, it really kept bringing to mind for me Hebrews twelve, where um, where the author says, "You haven't come to Mount Zion, you know, which is covered in thunder and lightning, and where you're terrified. You've come to Mount Zion, where there is this. There's dancing and rejoicing, mm-hmm. and all of these things, and mediate a better covenant, and all of these, you know, the good news of the of the the new covenant." And then he ends with, "So we should worship the Lord in reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." Right. And I think that's what these this, these stories are doing is they're pushing these two ideas together: is that um, the God who is a consum- the God who strikes down Uzzah, is also the God before whom we can joyfully celebrate because of Christ. It's
1: good. I love that.
0: But I don't think it necessarily means that we all have to put our hands in the air and wave them like we just don't care. But you can if you want. <laughs> but you can if you want. But
1: you can if you want. <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's a theology of worship right there and I'm not, I'm not even just I'm not joking but um, that sense of that like what we talked about from the very beginning the sense that there should be a mixture of holy reverence mm-hmm. and joyful celebration as we worship the Lord together
3: freedom and gravity yes absolutely
1: absolutely well okay so moving forward into like what is maybe the mo- one of the most significant chapters in the finally episode. i've been waiting second Samuel 7, <laughs> sitting over here patiently he's like i don't want to have. talk we're about don't want to be talking <laughs> like, about okay. dancing in front of the ark but i do want to talk about the covenant so in second samuel 7 you have a very big moment which is the covenant with david
3: yeah i like what mason, uh, mason jamin was talking about earlier uh about hot spots in the bible this is one of the hot you didn't use that term but you're talking about this fifty thousand foot overview yeah if this is a, if we're thinking about like the topography of scripture this is one of those, like, peaks right. and elevation points. Uh, Genesis 1 through 3 is one of those peaks. Genesis 12 with a promise given to Abraham. Exodus 19 to 24, promise to Moses. And now, coming to 2 Samuel 7, another covenant. Like, this is one of those hotspots that the story of the Bible just kind of ceases to make sense and, or gets really confusing without this.
2: What would be the next one?
3: Uh, if you keep going. Jeremiah 31, probably, okay. new covenant. Yeah, Isaiah, Isaiah 63, new covenant. I mean when you think about Paul, like Paul in Romans 1 says, uh, remember the gospel that I preached about Jesus being the son of David? Mm-hmm. Like that ceases to make sense right. <laughs> without this yeah. chapter. Yes. Uh, or, or heal us. They see Jesus walking by and people are sitting at the, at uh, I think it's the pool of Bethesda and they mm-hmm. say, heal us, son of David. Or uh-huh. by right? Bartimaeus. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 So there's Mary, just,
2: she only knows how to make sense of what the angel says to her. In light of this. By, light, e- yeah, by yeah. going back to this
3: covenant. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. this is one of those uh if you're going to spend, like, if uh, for me as a new Christian, the Old Testament was and still is and continues to be one of those places that sometimes I can feel like I'm just trying to grab on to familiarity so that I can make sense of the rest of the story. This is one of those chapters that you should just spend some time in. I think mm-hmm. if, if you're listening to this, and you're like the Old Testament is super intimidating. Genesis one through three, Genesis twelve, Exodus nineteen to twenty four, Second Samuel seven, mm-hmm. Jeremiah thirty one, yeah those are the pillars, the peak, the top, the high points. agree.
0: Well, and I, I asked you guys when we were getting ready to prep the lesson, I'm like, what's the big deal with the Davidic covenant? Like, what does it give me that I didn't have in the Abrahamic covenant or the covenants that came before? And because I think sometimes people talk about the Davidic covenant as though this is the big one in the old Mm. Testament, but it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a clarifying expression of these covenants that have come before. Is that a way you would say it?
3: yeah there's, so there's like this progressive covenant mm-hmm. covenantalism mm-hmm. that is taking place that is an expansion and a clarification of the previous promises, yes, would you say it has added specificity for sure
0: i would yeah, yeah I think that's kind of what we landed on and and um I would say I'm not, you know, I'm always JT and Kyle and I are always sort of dueling back and forth on whether you should study doctrine or, or um, just the Bible as though those were two mutually exclusive categories. But this is an example of something that really helped me understand Mm -hmm. the Bible as a whole was Mm -hmm. I did a study on just on the covenants early on in my exposure to the Bible. It may
3: be helpful. Just can, can I take like 60 seconds and talk about, I like Jamin's language around presence people and place Mm -hmm. we use similar language to that in the training program and we kind of try to use some different terms just to help people get the concept so we use those terms we also use dwelling dominion Dominion, and dynasty dynasty. uh i like the four p's though because purpose but we say dwelling dominion dynasty through covenant and that's Mm -hmm. really what purpose Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so and so the story of the bible is about god's kingdom god establishing his kingdom his presence through his people in the place of the world, and so mm-hmm. that's what we see in Genesis one and two. It's lost in Genesis three, and everything from Genesis three moving forward is asking and answering the question about how, when, and will God reestablish his kingdom. Mm. And second Samuel seven is a big answer to that question. <laughs>
1: well and part of it is that with abraham and moses you've you've gotten a perspective on how jesus is uniquely going to establish that kingdom playing a mediatorial role Mm -hmm. but in second samuel 7 that role is knit to a kingly Kingly role Mm right so it's like there it's filling out a dynamic that up until you get to this place has maybe been implicit in the covenants that god has been making or in the promises of the old testament but is now being explicitly tied i mean but second samuel uh, seven in verse uh, fifteen and sixteen, uh, and your you know, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Right, mm-hmm. that Jesus, that this whoever this this Davidic covenant is saying that a huge part of God's covenant fidelity, faithfulness to His plans and purposes in the world and is in in, in, in Israel is a Davidic king who will rule forever. That has not been explicitly stated in this way until this covenant and it certainly hasn't been ratified by covenant
3: right so uh, just thinking about this chapter not as a whole but i guess really one through 17 is there's kind of two parts there's these temporal promises that are going to be fulfilled in david's lifetime uh because david wants to build a house for what we just talked about the ark he says i've got a house let's build you a house in other words let's make this thing permanent because when you come to second samuel seven it feels like the kingdom of God has been established. Mm-hmm. God is dwelling with his people. In other words, his presence is there. God's King, the man after God's own heart, the one that God chose is on the throne and they're in the land that mm-hmm. was given to Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so when, if you're just making your way kind of chronologically through the story of the Bible, it feels like God, all of God's promises have come to pass. We're on the verge of the kingdom of God being completely restored in the world. Now they just live holy and, uh, live holy and pure lives in the land and bless the nations. Mm-hmm. That would be a fulfillment of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so David sees this and he says, what we need to do is make your house permanent. Mm-hmm. I've got a permanent house here. And since your presence is what makes us distinct, let's make your presence permanent among us. Can I build a house for you? And this is, there's a lot of play on words here that we can't spend a lot of time on, but ultimately God says, uh, you're not gonna make a house for me your son is going to make a house for me and I'm going to establish his house, his throne and his kingdom forever. And so again, we don't have time to probably read the whole thing, but I think a good summary is what you just read, Kyle. Mm -hmm. It's in verses, it's in 2 Samuel 7 verse 16. Uh, He says, your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. If you look closely, presence, People and place or Mm -hmm. dwelling, dominion, and dynasty is the summation of what God is promising to David's son. So, in other words, it's promised that David's son, and you're thinking here, this is Solomon, this is going to be the son that comes, Solomon, Mm -hmm. is going to build a house, which he does. It's a temporary promise. He's going to reign on my behalf, which he does, but it's a temporary promise. And he's going to dwell in the land, and his throne is going to be established forever. And so you think the kingdom of God is going forward. But as we know, and I know we're going to get into this, uh, and later, yeah. as we spend more time in the Bible, that isn't ultimately uh, what happens. It's not made permanent.
1: Well, when you get to First Kings seven and eight, though, it looks like it's all come to tr- uh, yep. all come to fruition. Because mm-hmm. what do you have? You got Solomon king on the throne. Mm-hmm. You got the temple built, and you've got the ark there, the presence of God, and the nations coming, and the nations coming. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, I mean, if you just end at First Kings chapter eight um, after Solomon's benediction, you're like, Stop well, the Bible. I guess everything everything came true. Yep because it does look like, and there is in some sense a present fulfillment. We talk about when it comes to Old Testament prophecy, sometimes I'll talk about near near and far future. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, there's a near future fulfillment and a far future fulfillment. There is a near future fulfillment to this covenant. Mm -hmm. And it is Solomon with the temple, in the land, on the throne, with the ark and the nations. But it's just temporary. Mm -hmm.
2: The far future fulfillment is Jesus, of course. Mm -hmm. Right. This may be going back in the conversation a bit, but one of the things that I was uh, encouraged by that I read in one of the comments And I'd be interested to to hear if you guys have ever encountered this was that there was um, somewhat of a uh, Like uh, an activity in ancient Near East around that time where if you can read in like Egyptian literature of kings where the way the sequence of events was the uh, King would win some sort of battle and then he would build a temple to whatever god or goddess to secure future battles Mm -hmm. And in some ways you have that here. You have a king who's won a battle. And now what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to build a house, if you will, for that God, uh, maybe in hopes of securing like, the future battles. And yet God reverses the sequence of it. And and it, it establishes that God's interaction is always a grace mm-hmm. interaction right. with his people. And so no the doubt. sequence is interrupted to where it's, okay, you want a battle. You're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build a dynasty for mm-hmm. you That's right. it's as a way yeah. to lay down just one more time that this really is an extension of my love regardless of what you've done mm-hmm. that comes to you unfettered just through love and grace. And I just thought... That was. I
3: just thought that was really beautiful to see. And it's here. it's uh, it's another great reminder of what we talked about earlier, Genesis fifteen. Yeah. Of this one way covenantal promise given mm-hmm. to Abraham, that I, you're not the one accomplishing this. Mm-hmm. Like this is a a one way unilateral covenant that even when you're disobedient, which you and your son will be, I'm the one who's going to remain faithful. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: God sets the terms for a covenant. Yep. Yeah.
3: Like indisputably. And but
1: I've never heard that before. But it does like not to say that like I question it. It jives with everything.
2: God says I'm fine in the tent, and I'll stay in the tent. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to I'm going to establish a dynasty through you, Mm -hmm. and then your son can build my house. Mm -hmm. But but I'm I'm in control of this conversation, Mm -hmm. and that's the safest place for you to be. Like there is no sort of. Conditionality at work here, to where you could even, if we were to just take the the sequence, right? Because the idea in in the ancient Near East would be, now the god is indebted to me mm-hmm. because I have made this abode for him, mm-hmm. and so that secures that he continues mm-hmm. to act on my behalf. So Let's almost go. like, yeah, like you bar, like you're
1: you've bargained with God, mm-hmm. and so you've now got him in your debt, right?
2: You've pocketed
1: him, right?
0: That's Don't you think that this story is that the themes of the story are tucked into the transfiguration where Peter says oh let me let me put up some tents and let's all just stay here (laughs) and then and then and then God says this is my son. Listen to him. He focuses their attention. That's the dynasty right there. Yeah. That's I mean that's the king seated on mm-hmm. the throne forever. I kind of wonder if those themes aren't sort of an intentional if there's not an intentional allusion there yeah. in the story of the transfiguration to Peter's desire to say I can serve you. I can do something here for mm-hmm. you that you haven't asked for. Yeah. And then the, hang on, you're missing the point.
3: Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, that there's another really another major theme in the New Testament is is the temple. I mean, this is the centerpiece of worship. This is where Jesus is coming. His disciples are coming for feasts and the Passover. Mm -hmm. And when people begin questioning Jesus, they're questioning his authority. Uh, Again, the main question is who is the person that builds the temple? It's the son of David. It's the king who builds the Mm -hmm. temple. But if you remember the temple after after, uh, exile, the presence of God never comes back to the temple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you have Jesus with his disciples standing right outside the temple that was rebuilt after the exile. And the Jewish question at the time is, when is God reestablishing his kingdom? And when is God's personal presence coming back to be Mm -hmm. with his people? And they're questioning Jesus's authority. You're questioning, you you say that you're the king of the Jews. uh, And Jesus has this really interesting interaction. He says, Uh, well, the Jews responded to him, what sign can you show to prove the authority that you're the king? And Jesus answered them, destroy the temple and I will raise it up in three days. And they re- replied, it took 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise this up in three days. But the temple that he was speaking of was the temple of his body. So Jesus is the one demonstrating, I am the true son of David, who is also God. I'm the one who who uh, writes the terms of the covenant. I'm the one who completes the terms of the yes. covenant. I am the presence of God among you. And I am building a temple for my people mm-hmm. that will ultimately be the church, the body that extends into all of the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's the true son of David, the true king, who is the one who builds the temple, establishes his presence in the temple, which is far greater than any temple that they were standing at or looking at, or even the temple that Solomon built himself. That's
1: mm. good. J- listen, just for the record, if you're looking for one of the best sermons on the presence of God and the temple that I've ever heard, JT preached it in the Exodus series last mm-hmm. fall you remember that mm-hmm. we were texting jen and i were texting after that service mm-hmm. and she was like jt just preached his face off
2: mm-hmm. it was incredible <laughs> really that was a fun sermon it was a fun sermon it was but, one but, of those. But, but you were
1: able to you're able to get through that because the presence of god and there's another great book on this that we love ryan lister's book yes the presence of it's god it's a great book which is fantastic which is Trace. You, you speaking the language you you're speaking you might really love that book if you've have you read it Mm-mm. it's fantastic and it, it's going to jive with that Say people. the name of the book for it's called Listeners? the Presence of God. Yeah. It's Ryan a Lister, bi- it's just a biblical mm-hmm. theology of the presence of God, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. Um, but
0: I, I have another one too. Oh, please, um, the very first time I ever went to the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference, Paige Benton Brown—that's another
1: great sermon mm-hmm. in
0: it's like an hour and ten minutes long, and I mean, I just stared there with my jaw on the ground. It mm-hmm. was so so good, and I'm pretty sure that's still available it out is. there. It is. It's
1: fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that we want to what, that you came in? You were like, I, we we
2: haven't gotten to this yet, but I wanted to talk about. I it. I think it'd be. Oh, Jamin, go ahead. I just wondered if when I first uh, in preparation for this study, when I first read about uh, Uzzah and the Ark, I immediately thought Ananias and Sapphira mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you I, have mm-hmm. the yep. that you have a, a movement of God, yes. right? You have this time of celebration. So in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit falls, and then in five, you know that you have a couple bodies on the ground again right and so it's like what but i i have never found that you know what i mean mm-hmm. like is it worth mm-hmm. is it is it is it more than just a correlation in any way or principles around it so it was a question i had for the room that's interesting maybe even just to chew on together
3: well i've never gotten further than you just got there Kay. like i've made this like a connection but i've never been able to draw the line sure
2: yeah and other than like
1: uh so the the, the only way I've ever explored that is from an apologetic angle that would say that like, hey, God doesn't do this kind of stuff. The, like uh, yep. like he did in the Old Testament, so like because you'll hear somebody preach on a story like that and be like, "Well, that was really for the time before Jesus, mm-hmm. you know." But in Jesus, all of these things have been so absolved and done away with that we don't have to really think about that mm-hmm.
2: stuff. And you just it's, forget about Revelation, right? <laughs> right. Well,
1: yeah, and you and
2: tons of other a stuff. Lot of stuff you,
1: you forget about a lot of things in the New <laughs> Testament. <laughs> but you go like, no, God has always been serious about forsaking His holiness, mm-hmm. yeah, and especially yeah. forsaking His holiness among His people celebrating His holiness. Sure. Yeah.
0: Well, this is the hard part. And this is what I think you see again in Hebrews is you'll see these, you know, you hear this, uh, this is who you are. This is what you should do. This is the warning, mm-hmm, you know, yes. and you're like, yeah. why is this warning in here? Aren't you talking to believers? Why do you keep talking about how scary God can be? Mm-hmm. And and we don't want, you know, we've all adopted the idea that perfect love casts out fear. And we've forgotten that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes. Yeah. And and that's the tension that the believer ought to live in mm-hmm. is, is is the God who transcends
3: and the God who is near. Right. Yeah. That's good. Uh, maybe just thinking about a few discipleship things. If somebody's listening to this, I'm like okay enough of like biblical theology or systematic theology, but, like what does this mean for my, my daily life, my walk with Christ? Uh, your greatest need is the presence of God. Mm-hmm. The greatest need of a of a human is to be in God's presence because that's primarily what we lost in Genesis chapter three. And so the story of the Bible is again, this picture of God re-establishing his presence among his people and where we live now in terms of the the storyline of the Bible is that God has established his presence with his people through the Holy Spirit, but yet we're still waiting. We're still waiting for this full consummation of God's presence for the son of David, the one who is building God's temple to come and reign and rule visibly among us forever. And so when we talk about this in the training program, one of the things that we try to remind our students of is that the primary disposition of a disciple of King Jesus is to ask King Jesus to bring his kingdom. Mm -hmm. This is how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That no Christian in the world, whether you're living in the West or in the East or the South or in America or South Africa, wherever you are, is that you should have a discontentness with the current ordering of things. Mm-hmm. And we're praying for a holy revolution of King Jesus to return and come and ultimately set all things to right. Yep. And that none of us should be satisfied until that day comes. Yep. Yeah. I think three things that you see about the the covenant
2: from chapter seven, is that he's saying it's a promise that's not going to be overcome by death. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna be disrupted by sin. And it's a promise that will exhaust time because yep. it's eternal. Mm, good. And David responds to that by just doing this really interesting thing of sitting down and just asking God to do everything He said He was going to do. Yes. And I just thought, what if what a faithful expression of what maybe communing with God looks like in the daily life, to to rest in that, that whatever it is that's true, whatever's going on in my life, I have been grafted into a covenant, this covenant Mm -hmm. that is fulfilled in Jesus. I've been grafted into one that will not be overcome by death. Mm -hmm. It won't be disrupted by sin, including my sin. Mm -hmm. And it will exhaust time. It will be eternal. This is forever. And to just sit in that maybe every day and just say, God, will you just make it so? Mm -hmm. And I I wonder how that just begins to shift the perspective on the things that are happening in my life and the things I'm hoping for.
0: This, that's kind of where that's we good. landed the plane when we were teaching it, teaching it was that David Well, I
2: know I listened to oh. it. That's <laughs> <what> I <got. laughs>
0: Well, David's response is to essentially pray thy kingdom come thy will be done in in yeah. chapter in verse 28 and 29 of chapter 7 And this practice of, of asking God to do what he has said he will do and how so often our prayers to God are are us trying to coerce God into covenant Mm -hmm. with us instead Mm -hmm. of us saying, Lord, let your covenant come Mm -hmm. to pass. And Dale Davis, Dale Ralph Davis, who I just, I love him so much. he um, He had in his commentary, he said, the real question of the children of God is not who is against us, but who is among us. Mm-hmm, yeah. and, and and the prayer of someone who is asking God that his will would be done is the one who recognizes who is among us. When we are only thinking in terms of who is against us, our prayers will be colored by mm-hmm. asking God to come in and covenant according to our terms.
3: Yeah.
0: It was just really, I, it was an eye opener for me personally.
3: Yeah, thinking through the Christian's prayer life is often we are, whether it's coercion or ignorance or just a, just or a lack fear. of knowledge, fear. We want Promises that God hasn't made to us often mm. and we're asking for those things yeah. But true prayer is what you guys have been talking about. It's it's not reminding but it's it's trusting that God has promised certain things and asking him to bring those things about J. Todd Billings is uh, one of my favorite theologians on prayer. He has a book called rejoicing through lament. He is he is a uh, uh, Incurable cancer mm-hmm. and he in the in the one of the things he says in the is he says prayer is throwing the promises of God back in his face. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. Like that sounds in some sense like really violent and, yeah, and almost like unholy. Uzzet. Yeah, you're yeah. going to get us uh, That's good. <laughs> that's another yes. hashtag, Uzzet. Yes. Uzzet. I think that's the way he says it. But what he's basically saying is that's actually the truest form of trust. Mm. Yeah. Of, of, allowing yourself to go to the place of saying, God, you said this would be true. And I trust you so much that I can talk to you about it.
2: Isn't that what your kids do? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Dad, you said. You said, you know. Dad, you said.
3: You said you would do this. Your kingdom come, your will be done.
0: Well, and that when uh, life circumstances place us in doubt of whether, you know, of our our personal uh, situation, we can be reminded of um, God's promises to us, the people Mm -hmm. of God. Like I may not know how God will act in my particular circumstance, and I may want to find a promise that is just for me in that moment, but that's not always something that's easy to do, Mm -hmm. but I can always fall back on the the very clearly stated promises of God to his people across Mm -hmm. all time. Yeah,
1: and and going back to the previous episode, we're talking about the doctrine of union with Christ, that it's such good news that those promises of God... Are yes and amen in Christ. Christ. They're secure there. And they're, they're not better secure. than we could ever have hoped for. And they're not—they're better than
0: anything we would ask for. And on they're our not own. something
1: some broken earthly king can give us. No, nope. yeah. mm-hmm. no matter how great he seems. It's good. Well, Jamin, thank you for joining us. Thanks for coming, Jamin. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. Yeah, man. So much fun. Glad to have you here. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper with our good friend Mason King. See you next time. Grace and peace.